verses 1 through 14. At this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Oh, how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. If we're not careful, you ever notice how easy it is in life to get so focused on details that you miss like the point? It's so easy to get focused on what's supposed to be small things that God has given us for our joy. God has given us, you know, as a part of our life to try to make our whole life out of something that God just gave us to be one little part of it. Ever notice that? We can be like the guy who got a brand new Porsche. And he was so proud of this thing. And he pulled up and parallel parked in front of his office. He was going to go in and gloat to all the people who worked in his office about his new Porsche. But when he opened his door, a truck came by on that narrow street and just ripped the door right off of his truck. And he was... He just went nuts. He flipped his lid and a police officer saw it and pulled in behind him and got out of his car to see if the guy was okay. But he couldn't say anything. This guy just was, he was yelling. He was cursing about how this, his car was ruined and the body shop was never going to get it just right. And he can't believe this happened to his precious baby. And the cop said, how can you be so materialistic? Like you are missing all the most important things in life because you're so focused on material things. The guy said, you don't know me? How can you judge me like that? And the cop said, well, didn't you notice when the, when the truck took your door, your arm was hanging out and it ripped your arm off at the shoulder and your arm is gone. And the guy looked down and said, oh, great, my Rolex is gone too. <laughs> See, if, if we're not careful, we're not maybe that bad. But if we're not careful... We can get focused on an individual tree and miss the forest. You know what I mean? Today, we're going to talk about the Sabbath, which is about rest, which is about stopping work. And so we can do this, we can do this with work. God gave us work. We've been learning this in Ecclesiastes. and God gave us work. It's good. And we pervert work. Sometimes we pervert work by saying, thinking that's our problem and I'd be happy if I didn't have to work. Another way we pervert work is we make our life about that one tree. My, my work is my identity. My work is who I am. What I can build, how much money I can make, 
But we can do this with all kinds of things God has given to us that aren't sinful. We can do this with our leisure, you know, recreation, with sports, with all kinds of stuff. I think part of human nature is we tend to take pieces of life God gave us for good and make them ultimate things. Make our life about that thing. Like, like our work, the thing God gave us to enjoy and to provide for our family can become the thing we neglect our family because of. Well, today in the book of Matthew, the passage Luke read for us, we see a group of people who've, who've missed the point because they've been staring so hard at one tree. The people are the Pharisees. This is a conservative, religious, and political group that had a lot of pull in first century Israel. And they've missed the point for which God gave Israel the Sabbath. That's the tree they're staring at right now. Chapter 12 is like a hinge point in the book of Matthew. After this, Israel sort of as a whole officially has rejected Jesus, though individuals will not. And Jesus is pretty much done with the leaders of Israel. Like this is the point where the line's been crossed and there's no, there's no going back. And, and maybe there's not any single issue that brought the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees to a head more than the Sabbath. Because in the Sabbath, we see differing views between Jesus and the Pharisees on what makes people righteous. And in the Sabbath, we see the Pharisees going, you know what, if, no matter what the evidence says, if, if Jesus feels this way about the Sabbath, we'd rather kill him than follow him. It's the last thing Luke read, right? After this conflict about the Sabbath, they started talking about how can we kill this guy? Because of what he did on Saturday. The fourth commandment says, fourth of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And Jesus so challenges the Pharisees' ideas about what that meant that they want to kill him. And so today, as we study this passage, I want you to see first, I want to try to help us understand how they can think it's such a big deal that they pluck some heads of grain and he healed a guy on a Saturday. Why that was a crime against the nation in their eyes. I want you to see why Jesus says they are wrong, even according to the law. And I want you to see how Jesus changed what Sabbath observance would look like from there on out. And then I want to see if I can help us apply this ancient text to our modern lives or postmodern lives. But where we're going to start, this is prepare yourself. This is going to be the longest introduction maybe you have ever heard, okay? Uh, you know you have to get comfy if it's like quarter tell and Pastor Matt's still in the introduction. That's going to be today, okay? So, so buckle in and prepare for... Uh, some introduction. I, to understand this passage, we've got to understand why these guys think this is such a big deal that Jesus does these two crimes on the Sabbath. So I need to give you the Cliff Notes version on the Sabbath. A real brief overview of Sabbath history. 
Clear back in the book of Genesis at the very beginning, after the first sin, God obligated himself after the first sin. Even though you have sinned, I'm going to take a dis- make a descendant from this woman, a descendant of Eve, who's going to be a savior, who's going to crush the serpent, reverse the curse. Okay? A descendant is coming. Fast forward a few hundred and there are a few thousand years. There's a guy named Abram. Abram, uh, God shows up to, God renames him Abraham, and God gives Abraham uh, a three-pronged promise in Genesis chapter 12. He says, Abraham, I promise I'm going to make, give you a descendant. And from that, from that descendant, I'm going to build a nation. And I'm going to bless the entire earth, all the families of the earth through your family. Now, later we learn how God blessed all the families of the earth is to bring the Messiah through Abraham's family. That family is the nation of Israel. Okay? So God had obligated himself to not only make this family a nation, Israel, but to keep it a distinct people. Because he can't bless all the families of the earth through that nation if that nation ceases to exist or just melds off into other families. You know, that's how most ancient cultures met their end. They just intermarried and just sort of disappeared and became parts of other cultures, right? Like you can't go someplace and see Philistines. They're just, they're not, there are no Philistines. There are Jews, right? God promised, I'm going to keep your family a family, and God obligated himself to do that. Now, here's why that's important. Israel was never good at making it easy on God to keep his promises. Israel, um, I said when we studied Genesis years ago, they acted more Canaanite than the Canaanites. Okay, if left up to their own, the Israelites would have just become a part of the Canaanite cultures. They wouldn't have stayed separate. But God promised, I have to keep you separate. So here's what God did. He scooped them up out of the promised land and he transplanted them into Egypt. And the Egyptians hated the Israelites, would never have married an Israelite, would never have let them become a part of their culture. And so they grew up in Egypt and became this big nation that God promised they would become. Then God scooped them up out in the Exodus saved them from slavery, came and brought them back into the promised land and said through Moses, now, here's how you have to live now that I have brought you here. That's when God gives the law. But part of the law was given to Israel for this reason, to keep Israel a distinct people. Because God has promised, I'm going to deliver the world through this family. This is why God tells Israel, you can't marry that kind of person. You can't marry that kind of person. You can marry these other kinds of people, but they have to accept Israelite culture first. Okay, it wasn't that God's a bigot or a racist. It's that he promised to keep only this nation a separate, distinct people. So in the law... God gives Israel some things to do that makes them weird from the rest of the world. Especially these three things. Circumcising infant boys. Some really weird food laws that don't seem to make a lot of sense. And remembering the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Every Saturday, you got to take off. 
No other ancient people group were doing those three things. That's the weirdo trifecta for Israel. And if you're going to marry into an Israelite family, you've got to be willing to say, hey, all the rest of the people in Palestine, their store is going to be open on Saturday, but yours isn't. They're going to farm on Saturday, but you're not. And every seventh year, you're not going to harvest anything that grows on your vine. You're not going to farm that field because we do Sabbath. And that was to, so one reason for the Sabbath was to make Israel distinct because God had promised he would keep it distinct. And that's one way he did it. Does that make sense? So one purpose of the Sabbath was to keep Israel a distinct nation so that God could bring the Messiah out of Israel. Another purpose of the Sabbath was because God knows how life works best. God invented life. He knows how it works best. And rest is a part of that. So he said, I'm going I'm to make you build rest into your lives. And then another reason, the last reason why I think God instituted the Sabbath for Israel, which is Saturday, no work. The word means stop, cease, cease, quit. Um, is it's a demonstration of Israel's trust in God. Why did Israel continue to exist as a people? Because they were so wonderful and disciplined? Or because God promised, I'm going to promise Abraham, I'm going to keep that nation existing. That's why. And the Sabbath was a way of Israel saying to God this, I know the reason my family and all the families of Israel continue to exist is because you ordained it to be. I believe my family is taken care of because you promised it would be this way. And the Sabbath is a way to show faith and dependence upon God. I don't survive in this world because I can get ahead. I survive because you ordain that I survive. That's, that's what the Sabbath was for. Now, Israel was never good at keeping the Sabbath. Not for any length of time in its history. And in fact, when we get to uh, the Babylonian captivity, here's what happened. A bad guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who's an Iraqi terrorist king, comes and he lays siege to Jerusalem. He defeats Jerusalem and he takes all of the Jews that he doesn't kill, or most all the Jews that he doesn't kill, and he takes them back into Babylon and they live as captives in Babylon. Do you know why that happened? We're at fourth bullet point up there. We could read multiple places. We can read in Daniel and, and Ezra and Second Chronicles, um, Jeremiah, and Leviticus is the prequel. The reason God allowed Jerusalem to be defeated and the Jews carried off into Babylon, Babylon is because they didn't keep the Sabbath. God says it very plainly. You didn't keep the Sabbath. And I told you the consequences would be you would be ripped out of the land, I promised. All right, so the worst period in Judah's history happens because they didn't keep the Sabbath. And then 538 B.C., Cyrus of the Persian decrees the Jews can go home and rebuild Jerusalem. We studied Nehemiah a couple years ago. That's when they were building the walls after they came home. 
and they all had in their national memory, guess why that captivity happened? Because we didn't keep the Sabbath. And I've said all that to be able to say this. Did they have some good reason to be really serious about Sabbath keeping in Jesus' day? Did you catch that whole line? The worst period in our nation's history, the worst spanking God ever gave us as a people is because we didn't keep the Sabbath. And so when we come home and and Nehemiah rebuilds the walls and Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple, when we get back to living in our homeland, we do not want that to happen again. We have got to keep the Sabbath people. And so here's how serious they get. They look through the Old Testament and they say, if God says this amount of work on the Sabbath is a sin. We're going to build a behavioral fence around, here, around that so that nobody even gets close to the amount of work that God would think is sin on the Sabbath. And we could read through the Talmud and we won't because if you think this is boring, wait till I get into that. There's 20 chapters of behavioral do's and don'ts for the Sabbath for Jews in the Talmud. 20 chapters, and it gets weird in a hurry. Things like this. All right, we can't work on the Sabbath. What if, what if gals get together and do their hair, like braid their hair and stuff on the Sabbath? Would that be work? Well, people do that like at a beauty salon, so that's probably work. We're going to say, nope, we're going to say no hairdos on Saturdays because we don't want God to be mad at us. Okay, what about what if just combing your hair now we probably shouldn't do that either how about this what about plucking a hair nope it was illegal in first century Israel to pluck a hair on the Sabbath but not only that what might tempt you to pluck a hair on the Sabbath if you look at yourself in the mirror you might find a hair you don't like I'd love to find a hair that even I didn't like to tell you the truth But it's literally illegal in Jesus' day to look, to gaze in the mirror on the Sabbath. And we could go through every area of life, 20 chapters of rules like that. Why? Because God thought it was a sin to look in the mirror on the Sabbath or to pluck a hair on the Sabbath? No! Because they were so scared that if if we let people, if we give people an inch, they'll take a mile. And so in Jesus' day, there were all of these rules upon rules upon rules that were supposed to keep people from getting anywhere reasonably close to violating the fourth commandment. Now, the problem is, what they had done is they'd taken this day that God gave to people because life works better with rest and because it's a way for you to show you, you honor me and you depend on me for your existence. And they made this day a giant pain in the neck. An incredible burden that was impossible to do. You had to hate the Sabbath if you were a first century Jew. But that's the background story for what happens today in this passage. Now let's take a look at the two, the two crimes giant air quotes, that Jesus committed or his disciples committed in this passage. First one, um, they're meandering through the fields on a Sabbath. The disciples are hungry. They pluck some heads of grain. It would have been wheat or barley. They 
uh, scratch all the, all the grain out of the head and they, and they eat that way. And, and the Pharisees go nuts. Now for us, what seems weird about that to us, you may ever read this and go, why are they walking through somebody's field eating his wheat? Like that's weird. Like people stealing sweet corn. I don't want any confessions. I know some of you have done it. Right? That's the part. They didn't have like really square fields with roads around them. The paths had been there for centuries and the fields grew up around those. And, you know, it's not like you could pull off in the median and hit McDonald's if you were hungry. Right? So there, there was no social problem with eating someone else's grain, you know, as long as you didn't take the harvest crew out there. Okay? But here's what the scripture does say. One thing you can't do on the harvest, or excuse me, on the Sabbath is harvest. There's three stages to harvest. Uh, reaping, which would be like mowing to us and bundling up the grain. You can't do threshing, which is where you beat grain out of the, of the heads. And you can't do winnowing, where you throw the grain up in the air so that the chaff gets blown away. That's what harvest looked like back in the day, and you can't do that on the Sabbath, because then you're trying to get ahead in life. You're trying to survive based on your own hard work and all that stuff, and you're supposed to be dependent upon God on this day. The Pharisees, and the Talmud actually, wasn't their fault, but they had said, all right, God says no harvest. Well, how much grain can you do before it's sent? None. What What they said right there, you pluck one head of grain, you just harvest it. You just threshed. You just winnowed. And if we let people get away with that, before long they'll have their whole harvest crew out here. So we're going to draw the line right there. And to them, what Jesus and his disciples do is a crime against the nation. Because stuff like that is why God kicked us out into Babylon a few hundred years ago. The next crime... At the end of the passage, they, the Pharisees plant a guy with a withered hand. Like maybe he had polio or, or, or something, right? They plant him in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they ask Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Do you know what they think the answer to that question is? They think the, the answer is no, it's not legal to heal on the Sabbath. They literally think so. Their standard was this. You can give someone medical attention on the Sabbath so far as it saves a life, but no healing. So in other words, you know, if you cut yourself and you got a real gusher, right? You got a, a spurter, right? They can apply a tourniquet or a bandage, but they can't put any medicine on it if it's the Sabbath. All right, that's, that's the crimes. It comes... It comes from a real place. We don't want God to hate us. But they've made this an undoable burden. A lot of this passage is Jesus' explanation of why they are wrong in, the, in, in the, what the, the standards they're holding people to. First, just from the law. And I'm not going to read through these, but he brings up two stories. Jesus does. He said, you guys know the story about David on the run from Saul. It's told in the book of 1 Samuel. Maybe you don't know the story, but here's the story briefly. David has been anointed king, but he's not king yet. The, real, the king in Israel is a guy named Saul, and he's a real jerk. And he wants to kill David. 
and he's chasing David and David and a few of his men are on the run and they get really hungry. And it's hard for them to get help from regular people because when David gets helped by local people, Saul tends to destroy everybody in the whole village. And they're starving. So David goes and sees a priest. And this priest, he says, hey, you got anything to eat? We're starving here. And the priest says, I don't have anything but the show bread or the bread of the presence. Here's what that was in the temple or the tabernacle in that day. Later, the temple up by the altar, there were these tables. And once a week, the priests were supposed to bake these giant loaves of bread and put them out on the temple. And they were supposed to sit there for a whole week. At the end of that week, the priest took those away, baked new loaves. And then the priests and only the priests were supposed to eat those loaves of bread. That had to be some seriously dry bread because it set for a week, right? But only the priests, only the right day. David shows up, we're starving. The priest says, you know, all I have is the show bread and you're not priests and it's not the right day anyway, but I don't want you to starve to death. So the priest gives David and his men these giant loaves of bread and they eat it and survive. And Jesus says, God was fine with that. Even though... They just, they violated the letter of the law. His other example is this. No work on the Sabbath, right? That's right. He says, well, in the temple, how do you think the fire on the altar kept going? Somebody had to feed that fire. Somebody had to offer sacrifices. The priests did all kinds of work on Sabbath, and the Bible's silent about their ability to do that. Jesus said, God is fine with that. Okay, human well-being is more important than ritual correctness. It's always legal to do good on the Sabbath. The Pharisees hated that answer, but not as much as they hated the last one or the next one. This is in, if you have your Bible open still, verses 6 through 8, Jesus says this. Here's why, Pharisees, you are wrong to criticize me about what I do on the Sabbath. He says this. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If, I, if you'd known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And then this whopper, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6, Jesus tells these guys, something greater than the temple is here. The first century Jewish mind, what's greater than the temple? Bupkis, Nothing. The temple is where God lives among his people. The temple is how people get to God. Jesus says there's something greater than that here. It's Jesus and his disciples as they're on the move around Israel. Here's why Jesus is greater than the temple. The temple was where God lived among his people. Once Jesus shows up, he is how God lives among his people. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the disciples take the gospel around, how does God live among his people from that point forward? How does God live among us? Only here in this building? Is this where God lives? No, God indwells us. His Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus is greater than the temple. And this system he's making is greater than the temple. And he said a few weeks ago, he said, I'm like the new wine. Don't try to fit me in the old wineskin. Things are going to change. I'm greater than the temple. And then in verse 8, he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. This might not make our jaws drop. I guarantee it made theirs. If they didn't want to kill him before he said that, that's when they wanted to kill him. 
who's Lord Sabaoth his name from age to age the same. Remember that song? Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? God. Who invented the Sabbath? Who wrote on the the tablet of stone with his finger, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Who did that? Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Again, when that nice couple knocks on your door and tells you that Jesus isn't God and he never said he was God, yes, he did. The Lord of the Sabbath is God. And here's what Jesus is saying there. I'm greater than the temple and I'll decide what acceptable Sabbath behavior is because I invented the Sabbath. I'm boss of the Sabbath. I'm God. And in the middle of there, he says, if you had known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice. That's a repeat. Jesus said this in chapter 9, verse 13. I preached a whole sermon on that little uh, statement. I want mercy and not sacrifice. So I won't go too far here, but he says, he's telling these guys this. If you had approached me in your helplessness, begging for God's mercy, you would have it. But you bring your sacrifices. You bring your own righteousness and you think you can be good enough to impress God. All right, that, and that's the passage. That's the, that's the fight over the Sabbath that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And what I want you to see for the rest of our time, first is how Jesus changed Sabbath. This is observation. I think this is something very important for Christians to understand. Because if somebody asked you, hey, how come you don't observe the fourth commandment? How come on Saturday you don't just stay at home, you don't count your steps? If you go out and cut wood, if you go fishing, fishing would be a good Sabbath thing, right? Nope, that's illegal. Or if you think you observe the Sabbath, why do you do it on Sunday? That's a good question, right? Um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, do not think I came to abolish the law, but I came to what? Fulfill it. We don't keep the Sabbath. We don't keep the Sabbath. If you think you keep the Sabbath, you are wrong. Okay? Now, you might do some things differently on Sunday, and I'm going to tell you in a minute, you are fine. And in your own way, you're keeping a Sabbath. But the Sabbath is one of the laws that Jesus so completely fulfills, it's like we don't have need for it anymore. Let me explain what I mean. I took the first 15 minutes of this sermon explaining why the set God gave the Sabbath. You remember why God gave the Sabbath? He wanted to make Israel, keep Israel distinct. Why? So we could bring the Messiah through a distinct nation. Once Jesus shows up, that reason for the Sabbath is gone because Messiah has come from that distinct nation. The Sabbath was given to man because rest is good. 
Remember what Jesus said, if you were here last week, if you have your Bible open, you can look up at the verse, the, the verses that end chapter 11. The last thing Jesus said before this argument breaks out, he said, come to me and I will give you, what? Rest. And then he said, as long as you come on Saturday, because that's the only day we do rest. Is that what it says? No. Jesus is changing rest when it comes to resting in the Lord. Our rest comes from our position in, in Christ under his blood. Our rest does not come because God will take care of us because we're Israel if we don't work on Saturday. We're not Israel. So that's sort of why we don't have a need. But listen, Sabbath is the only commandment. Commandment 4 is the only one that's not reiterated for us in the New Testament. Also, you cannot find a place in the New Testament because it's not there. It does not say, hey, we still do Sabbath, but it's on Sunday. The Sunday's not the Sabbath. It's a different thing. The Apostle Paul, who was the Jewish Jew of all the Jews, he followed the rules as best as he could follow them, man. A Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul called himself. He wrote this, Romans chapter 14, about the Sabbath. One person regards one day as holier than the other days, and another regards them all alike. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day does it for the Lord. You know what I love about what Paul says there? He never mentions one certain day of the week. Because by the time he writes Romans, Christians are already meeting on Sundays. Jews are still meeting on Saturdays. And he doesn't differentiate. He says, one person says they have a day of the week that's different than the rest. Another person says, you know what? I'm going to live for the Lord the same way on every single day. And he says, they're both right. Now, can you treat Sunday different than the rest of the days of the week as a way to honor the Lord. Absolutely, you are free to do that. But I do not have the biblical authority to point at you if you do or don't and say, that's not the way Sabbath is done. Paul says, you must be convinced in your own mind and you must be doing that for the Lord. Colossians 2.16, Paul again. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink. There's the food laws that we don't have to follow either. Or in the matter of a feast, new moon, or a Sabbath day. These are the shadow of things to come, but the reality is Christ. Again, if you want to treat Sunday different than other days of the week, because you honor the Lord, that's awesome. but you can't stand as judge to someone who doesn't. That's very clear. But then here's my favorite part. You see the last line on the screen up there? These are only the shadow of things to come, but the reality is Christ. Uh, What was the purpose of the law? Why did God give the law? You know why Paul said God gave us the law? So we could see what God's righteousness looked like and see that we have no chance of actually doing it. We can't. 
And in the law, the whole law points to Jesus. The whole law points to Jesus. The same way that the, 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 the laws that kept Israel separate were for Jesus to come out of a separate, distinct nation. Paul says, now that Jesus has shown up, those things are like a shadow. Jesus is the concrete object that casts the shadow. Stop paying attention to the shadow and pay attention to the object that casts the shadow. Does that make sense? Our reason for the food laws and for the Sabbath given there are gone because we have the concrete object that they, that they pointed to. All right. That was a very academic study through this. And if I'm not careful, I will miss the point. Because the point of this is not that you know why we don't have to give, uh, obey the Sabbath anymore. This all points to Christ and the rest we get in him. There's, there's not an accident that Jesus says, I will give you rest if you come to me. And immediately there's an argue, argument about how to rest. Here's what I want you to know. Here's how you apply this to your life. Here would be a wrong way. I learned in church today, I don't have to obey the Sabbath. Which means now, I can work seven days a week when I used to only work six and a half. Hallelujah! Also doesn't mean this. Hey, I obey the Sabbath. I take a nap every Sunday. I work 95 hours a week the rest of the week. My career is my life. I'm still working as hard as I can, make as much money as I can to make myself something, to have a car people look at. But I take a nap on Sunday, so I don't want to hear any of this stuff about me. I obey the Sabbath. No. No. God knows how life works best, and it includes rest. But I can take a nap on Sunday. I can take all of Sunday off and still be just as far from God's heart when it comes to my work as if I didn't do anything different on Sunday. Does that make sense? And just in case there's a wife here or two or three, who are doing this number. I hope he's listening to this. Because I'm stuck at home. He's out there doing his thing. I'm stuck at home doing laundry, washing dishes, cooking meals. Right? And if he was here, give me a break. Right? I have this, and you have this angst in your heart because of your husband's view toward work that may be perverted. you think the angst in your heart is going to go away if he comes home? I mean, is that what he was created for, to take away the angst in your heart? Guess where your rest has to be found? Your rest ain't in your husband any more than his rest is in his job. The Pharisees didn't have a law problem. They had a heart problem. They didn't have a rest problem. They had a get the point problem. Everything they had studied pointed to Jesus Christ as Messiah. 
but they had to come to him with helplessness. You are my rest. They, they didn't want saved. They wanted commended for their righteousness. And they missed a point. And the point was this. Something greater than the temple is here. He is the point. He's the point. You know why we make little details of life the point? You know what I'm going to be about? My job. You know what I'm going to be about? Sports. You know what I'm going to be about? Leisure and recreation. You know why we do that? Because we think we are the point. And we're trying to figure out what will make us happy because we're the point. The Pharisees did that through legal observation and, and righteousness. That's going to be my point, what's going to make me good and make me satisfied with who I am. And Jesus said, there's no rest there. Jesus is the point. He's the point of the entire law. He's the, the pinnacle of human existence. He's where our hope is, is found and nothing less. Something greater than the temple is here. Real forgiveness and real rest are found only there. Pray with me and we'll close. Father, um, through that meandering uh, study, somewhere is a truth we all struggle with where we take things that aren't the point and try to make them the point. Um, And Father, we know that if we don't... Paul said, whatever we do, we're supposed to do it for you. No matter what we do, we're supposed to do it for you. And maybe that's the secret in understanding where, how much work that we work or how much rest that we rest is what is the point of what I am doing? Lord, uh, I pray you'd help us to make you more and more the point of our lives. The focal point, um, what we want to do is do life with you. Make us a people like that uh, to our good, to your glory, and to to the rest for our souls. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.